0: Welcome back to the Muzzle Blast Podcast, the official podcast of the National Muzzle Loading Rifle Association. This week we're talking with Jim Fulmer. Jim is a past president of the association, but he's also an avid muzzle loading hunter. And with turkey season right around the corner here in Indiana, and it's already started, I believe, down south, we're wanting to share some muzzle loading turkey hunting tips and some fun muzzle loading turkey hunting stories. Um, I think. A part of the draw with muzzleloader hunting is that it's not a definite thing. Uh, there's a lot of quirks and things that can happen with it. And uh, Jim Fulmer here definitely has a lot of stories. Jim also references uh, his friend Dave Erig. Dave Erig is the editor for Muzzle Blast Magazine, and we're actually going to be recording an interview with him about turkey hunting as well. So keep an eye out for that here in the next couple of weeks. Uh, hello, my name's James Fulmer, and uh,
1: I'm a past president of the National Muzzling Rifle Association. Uh, I've, I've hunted with muzzleloaders and shot muzzlers almost my entire life. I started shooting them uh, with my uncle. About the time I was about 12 years old, I started hunting with him. By about the time I was 12 years old, we started hunting groundhogs down with him and with uh, an old uh, Civil War musket, and we had a lot of great fun whipping mini balls down after him. And uh, as things went on, I, I hunted with a fox with a flintlock as a kid, as a young man. I, I did a lot of. Did a lot of hunting with muzzleloaders. One of the reasons was I lived down in Bucks County, Pennsylvania, where small game was easy to come by, and same with deer. And by the time I, I shot my first buck a, a nice one when I was 12 years old, I shot tons of groundhogs. By the time I was, you know, by the time I was 13, I shot a lot of everything. By the time I was 14 and 15, and somewhere around about 15, 16 years old, I got the idea that these muzzlers, my uncle uh, used to shoot were pretty neat, and it, it, it made it more of a challenge, believe it or not, Except, mostly, I'll admit, I was spoiled at hunting, because it was, it was the game was so prevalent on my dad's farm. And uh, one of the first things I started hunting was groundhogs, because at one point, a lot of guys probably don't even know the caliber, but there used to be a uh, caliber, a 219 zipper, <laughs> so that was a wildcat cartridge, and my uncle had one, and him and me would get in, up in the barn of the on this farm which was uh, pretty much in the center of the property so we could get a, a, a one of the big groundhog uh, uh, colonies was uh, across the dam breast of, of the pond and it was only about it was about 200 yard shot and to, to get the 200 yard shot you had to get that far away you had to get them in the, in the second floor of the barn to see him. And we kill a groundhog with every shot out of this 219 zipper at the ripe old age of 14, I realized I, all of a sudden dawned on me, this is pretty stupid. It was, it didn't seem very sporting. <laughs> and that's why I asked, that's why I asked, uh, uh, uncle about the, 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 uh, the old, uh, uh, Springfield muskets the old original civil war Springfield musket we shot because we, we could, hit a, uh, Oh, we could keep that thing with mini balls. We could keep that in about two or three inch group at, uh, uh, Fifty yards with it. yeah, you know, we had we had that figure it out pretty good. It was forty-two grains of powder and shot pretty flat. And, and uh, you you rack a groundhog twenty-five yards on the head. So we I used to sneak down along the pond and sneak up to with about twenty-five yards and shoot these groundhogs offhand with that old musket. And mm-hmm. That I was more rewarding, to, re, more rewarding to do that to me than shooting with that zipper out of the barn. <laughs> and uh, anyway, and, I, and I, I basically started shooting muslin shotguns. About 1969, uh, what happened was everybody in the neighborhood knew that I was a a, 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 a muzzleloader and, and shot black powder. And I, and I already, at you know 14, 15 years old, uh, I was somewhat known, and anybody, everybody would uh, had a would come around and talk to me about. It. And this uh, young kid, it was younger than me even. I think he was probably about 13. I was probably the rightful age of 15. He'd bought himself. A, a 10-gauge muzzling double uh shotgun, because he thought he wanted one. Well, <laughs> uh, he bought, and the reason he bought it, it was because it was cheap. It only cost him like uh, $20, I think. And he bought this thing, and the trouble was, uh, the barrels were apart. You know, they, they were taped together. Oh. Uh, nip- nipples were all mashed apart. It was, it, was, it was, back then, it was $20 was probably a little, it was a little bit expensive for it. But I traded him because I I I'd seen the gun in the same gun shop he had, and I half wanted it, but I couldn't beat my dad out twenty dollars for it. So I traded a hunting pouch. This, you can imagine this: is back. to no, don't forget now. Not a whole lot of people knew about muslowing back in '69.
0: Yeah.
1: I traded a homemade hunting pouch, which I made myself. I, I made it out of a gray fox uh, skin. I I trapped here and I tanned it myself, hair on, with the with the, the, the face on, the, the head on it. And that was part of the flap, It's was all fur, and uh, I made a strap, he made a strap-out raccoon fur I had tanned, and I made this hunting pouch. And it was, it was pretty pretty crude at best, I think, back on it, but oh, anyway, yeah. he, he had the hots for this thing, and uh, lo and behold, uh, we went around and around, and eventually I went and gave him the, the hunting pouch and a $20 bill, the exact actually amount of money he paid for it for the shotgun. <laughs> And uh, he needed a, so, so basically, he's he got a little up while he came away way with a pouch. I needed a lot of it, needed a lot of work, and I re the barrels, uh, together and the nipples. Uh, I, I remember drilled them out with old hand drill. It, 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 it was a grace of God. I got through it without screwing them up because couldn't get them out, you know. And uh, I re-tapped them for uh, it was a 10 gauge, so that was a help. Uh, <laughs> tapped to a big old 516 fine thread, uh, uh, nipples for it, and uh, Dixie works catalog. Uh, anybody that doesn't have a Dixie Gunworks catalog, they need to get one because that has everything you need to know about uh, shooting a, a muzzleload, muzzleloader and a, and a muzzleloading shotgun, back to book. The back of the book, with all well, its references, is worth as as much as the whole catalog. So he at least, least uh, need to own one. And, uh, and I said, I, 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 I said, growing up in Bucks County is uh, it was just loaded with doves, pheasants, rabbits. And the neighbor's farm, and we were, I was able to hunt on the neighbor's farm. Uh, I had the best little squirrel hunting, uh, a little 10 acre patch of woods he owned right by his house. And I, I know I've said more than once, especially if the squirrel hunting was too good because he didn't like me. Shoot. I, I could get away with shooting a 22. If I took a muzzler out there, shotgun or the other ones, he, he sometimes would come out and say, You're scaring my, my mother. Because <laughs> 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 I was right, I was right. Right there almost by his house, and it was uh by his farmhouse in that, that ten acre woods, it was loaded with squirrel.
0: Huh.
1: But uh that's where I learned about muzzle and Shotgun, it was down there in that farm in, Bucks, in uh, Bucks County. And uh and what I read what I read in Dixie Gunway's catalog is still still in there. It's been you know, they haven't changed the back of that catalog since I was a kid. And it says you were supposed to stick a real tin can and, had, and, and what I and why I had the real tin can, they didn't have to say that back then. Because <laughs> tin cans were tin cans. Yeah. I'm pretty sure I probably used a real uh, uh, tin beer can back then, you know, a real real tin uh, beer can. And they were pretty tough back then. <laughs> and, uh, anyway, but I mean, or a green bean can. Now you use green bean cans or something like that. But uh, you're supposed to get out there about 20 yards, and you're supposed to make your load, with your and shotgun, uh, make it tough enough that you can penetrate the tin can with BBs. If you can't pierce the tin can with BBs, you're not going to kill anything. Hmm. You know, and you don't need all of them to go through, but you need, uh, you know, you need most of them to go through, at least one side. Yeah. And uh, my old that old 10 gauge, that old 10 gauge, by the way, that had a lot of things going against it. It was also sawed off. I forget to tell you that. It was sawed off down to about 20, <laughs> 22 inches. Oh, my gosh. You know, it was about 22 inches. So you're talking about a little short barrel, sawed off 10 gauge. And I think back on it, uh, probably the reason the guy did it, it was lighter because I've been seeking, I've been looking for a in the last few years uh, for a nice 10 gauge again and i've never found one and if i do find one it weighs a ton yeah you know the, the full eight barrels and uh i never realized that that 10 gauge uh, cut off would of it made it so nice uh but anyway that that old 10 gauge uh, cut off like about 100 grains of uh 2f powder and about ounce a quarter shot and i use seven and a half shot for doves and number five shot for rabbits and and and, and the pheasants but it, the the that uh, was my theory for the pheasants. And I, on any September afternoon I could get three to four doves pretty regular without a shotgun. That shotgun threw a pattern about the size of a barn door. <laughs> and I heard a guy the dub just threw in flew into it. Cause I I I would I'd sit there and I'd work I'd work around loads and, and basically again I didn't really know anything about anything. There yeah. wasn't a whole lot of people teaching because my uncle didn't shoot shotguns, puzzling shotguns. I was using toilet paper. I I I've I've written that up in the story up muzzle blast. And then now with this coronavirus going around and all the shortage of toilet paper when you're sitting there, think how many sheets of toilet paper you should put over your powder and how many sheets of toilet paper you should put over your shop. And I used to <laughs> use toilet paper for wadding. Did that for for a little while, it wasn't too long, and then I caught my dad's uh, uh soybean field on fire and uh I probably, I probably lost about a 16 foot circle out there being to try and be, stomp it out. <laughs> the toilet paper coming down and catching it on fire. <laughs> and uh, so I realized that the, the, the toilet paper wadding isn't the best stuff to use. Yeah. I, I tell you what, though, uh, uh, wasps, uh, those wolf's nests, because we used to have a lot of paper wasps, yeah. and they do work. A paper wasp does work and it doesn't catch the fields on fire. <laughs> but there are also, uh, for, for shooting tubs, you need a lot of wolf's nests. <laughs> And I, I didn't. We didn't have. I didn't have the paper horn you always hear about. We didn't have too many paper horns around our place. So anyway, I wound up. Uh, I did do a lot with oiled uh, brown paper. I used to sit there and take oiled brown paper and just roll it up and you know roll it up. And uh-huh. also, uh, yeah, basically did that for a while. But anyway, uh, but I said, and and uh, the doves are pretty fragile. I will say this. Many a the time, there was one one pallet. At the most, was like three or four pallets of and they'd kill, they'd kill them. You know, if you catch them in the head or you know, three or four pellets and they'd come down. Yeah. And I, I shot. I bet you over the years down there. Uh, I only lived out there. I was really on the farm till about, uh, to my about seventy-two. I think we moved from that farm. And uh, I shot probably over fifty uh, doves down there with a shotgun. I did not shoot that many. I mean, we I I I I, did, I really enjoyed taking that out and and, and shoot. You know, I I'd, I'd get a few doves. We were loaded with doves, and. Uh, uh, and, and I, I shot probably a dozen rabbits because rabbits, uh, we had a big old there. Her name was Boots and this big old, she was right to rabbit dog. And, and, uh, I always, and something else though, I would never, I always hunted with a muzzle and shotgun by myself. Really? My, my uncle would not tolerate me with that damn muzzle and shotgun. He took his small game hunting pretty serious and and uh, uh, when I'd miss something, he'd be so upset. You know, the, the doves wasn't too bad. He'd get with me but rabbits and that, uh, we hunted together but uh anyway the big, big old there but he he i i got a lot of tongue lashing because i missed that old muzzleload job especially pheasants you know because pheasants though know, there were quite a quite a few pheasants down there but they weren't that common. right yeah, that was a real meal and if you you lost it you you lost a meal and uh we we so we weren't the richest people in the neighborhood so we we ate everything we shot i still do <laughs> and uh so basically, fooling around with a shotgun was not my uncle. My uncle used to he took he took his uh, shotgun shooting pretty serious. A groundhog was one thing, but uh, uh, a meal was something else. Yeah.
0: So but did anyway, he uh, did he hunt with modern shotguns then?
1: Oh yeah, oh yeah. He was a big modern shotgun guy. He uh, he bought me my first uh, good uh, muzzle a uh, good modern shotgun, and uh, uh, it, it, I still hunt with it to this day. It's still my favorite shotgun. He bought me a, what they call it, Richland. It's Richland 707 20 gauge it's improved cylinder modified and it's just a beautiful light little gun I still hunt with it last year I take it down down here uh, to the Blue Marsh here in Berks County where I live now uh they stock pheasants down there I usually get eight to ten pheasants down there a year I, I got there a few times and and, and and you know I got I got there pretty steady and it's just a nice light little gun but uh they uh uh, he was, he was a big, he had, he had a Browning, he had a, a Browning, and he had a a uh, he had a Browning over under, okay. was left, that's one thing. And that's how I got my first flintlock. My uncle, uh, John Blake, he was, was, my, uh, my mother's brother and he was a merchant seaman and he'd go off the sea and it, when he come in, it'd be like Santa Claus. Cause he's a sail all over the world and he'd come in with a sea bag full of, Weird presents from different parts of the world to give out to all his nephews. Uh, I have three brothers and me. And he made sure, like, everyone was got something. And it was pretty interesting. And uh, he always brought home something for my mom. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he'd, he'd live with us for three or four months. Okay. Like, the, uh, the, the shipping back then was if you're on a merchant ship, you'd have uh, three months, uh, uh, it was uh, nine months on, three months off. And uh, tankers was six months on and uh, six months on the ship and six months off. And uh, he always used to go for the freighters because he liked liked them. That was before the uh, containers. Mm-hmm. So you were able to get yeah you were the the, the men would used to be able to get a few a few necessities. Uh, uh, there always be a the crate got broke open by by somehow by those <laughs> so things would be gotten. But then when they went to containers, they couldn't do that. Right. So the container ships weren't near as much fun, so he, he went to the tankers at the end. But anyway, he'd come in. And he always scheduled his vacation around hunting season. He'd make sure he'd be, he'd come in. He'd arrive with dove season in September, in September, October, uh, November, and he'd leave with deer season. He, he was always out of there by Christmas. He would never stick around for Christmas. At the end of the uh, Pennsylvania deer season, he was gone, hmm. and uh, and that's how that's how that was like with him for years. He'd be arrive with the dove season. And uh, maybe in maybe the little, little end of August, because we used to do a little ground gun sometimes. But uh, he, uh, uh, he loved to hunt, loved to shoot. He, uh, and that's how I anyway, – he was left-handed, and that's how I got the, my first uh, muzzleloader. He bought a – way back in the mid-'60s, we'll say, you know, he bought a flintlock uh Intercott. Now, it was a navy Arms import flintlock, you know, me Italy thing. And uh, yeah, it was Italy, it wasn't Spain, it was Italy. And uh, he bought that and he touched that off the first time. And that being left handed, he did not care for that flash next to his face he didn't wear glasses and he didn't care for that. He uh, I promptly got that. He went out and bought himself uh, <laughs> uh, that Springfield that probably bought a Springfield uh, musket, okay, and brought that, that Springfield and he loved that. And uh, next, like, you know, he bought like this little Berdan Italian made uh. For Dan, which he gave me, it was a little bit more of a target rifle, uh, AV arms import. And that's all he had to work with, was mostly Davy arms. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, he also, uh, at one point in time, he got me interested because we were shooting at Springfield so much, uh, NSSA, North South Skirmish Team, uh, uh the North South Skirmish Association. Uh, guy was big in our area, and one of the men who worked for my dad, uh, was belonging to SSA, and, uh, he had a uh, "quote-unquote" target gun for sale. It was a, a eighteen sixty three, you know, it was a Navy Arms import, eighteen sixty three uh, Remington Zoab, but it had a, the drop-in numeric barrel, and it was all tricked out. It Had a, a lighter, a light trigger pull on it, the minimum trigger pull for SSA and it was it was a it was a it was a shooter. And uh, uh, I got that, and I still have that. Oh and, wow! Uh, I won a lot of matches with that. I've shot out friendship, and I have placed. I think I placed once out there, friendship with it. Thing just shoots. So it was just a good, good shooting gun. And I got that as a kid. But uh, anyway, back to this old original shotgun. <laughs> uh, anyway, I traded a shotgun off about '81 uh-huh. for a, a solar lock, North Star set triggers, brass harbor to build my first flintlock custom long rifle. I had, I had what a uh, get uh 45 caliber, a little 1316 spiral, a rifle match. And as Gene says, building me the rifle, and that's how I got into really serious target shooting. Up then, I was always shooting uh, these Italian, you know, these uh, uh, reproductions, and most of them were the old Navy armed ones that and my uncle had bought. And uh, uh, when he was way at sea, I used to use them. And uh, we had the old Buffalo Hunter, the old fifty-eight caliber Buffalo Hunter. That thing shot good, especially with a round ball. And uh, anyway, so basically, uh, I Gene built this gun for me. This is this is you know, already I'm married, and this is later on 81. And uh, when I see that, the reason I didn't build it, because I, I fool around, but, you know, I built a gun, they call it homemade, and when somebody else built it, they call it custom, and I, and I wanted a Gene Stevens built me a beautiful gun with carving, it was a nice gun. But during the same time period, this is where I got into the and turkey hunting a little bit, during the same time period, I traded for a uh, short trade gun. You know, there's a little amount of your, and uh, back in the I uh, will say the late seventies, early eighties. Everybody, uh, everybody in my area had to get a trade gun. That was a big thing to be cool. You had to have a trade gun in your rendezvous camp, your premium camp.
0: Okay. But,
1: and my trade gun with, had a uh, the fox uh, flintlock, uh, that little fox lock. It was a, it was a you know, well a lot a lot lock. You know, it was a you know, lot lock that you know anyway. And it had a dragon side plate. And, uh, oh, 12, wow. and It had a little dragon side plate on, it, like the old trade guns did. It was a, a new-made one, and a guy made it with a 12 gauge modern shotgun barrel. <laughs> and I choked at it. It was choked, and never, never would go. And never, you never get it to shoot round ball. But it shot, shot, great. I mean, it, it, it hammered shot. It was probably the. It was the first one I had. short barrel because it was a modern shotgun barrel. Yeah. And I don't think it started out at 28 inch you know, originally. It was already down to. Uh, it was only about a 26 inch inch barrel you know, this trade gun, which, which, which about for trade guns is probably about right. And I can never get to shoot round ball because you can't get the patch round ball, push through the, 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 restriction at the end of the bore. uh, without rattling. Matter of fact, I found it worked just about as well with a bare ball. Huh. Just so bare ball down, put a, uh, put a wad, put a shotgun water underneath the bar ball and put a the bare ball down on top and. If you're worried about it falling out, put like a half a watt on top to keep it in. Uh, how I got the gun, I traded a 1970. This, don't forget, this is about like a, uh, somewhere around like yeah, I don't know, 79 or 80. I traded a 1970 Volkswagen square bag, which had no reverse, for this trade gun that Hawken made uh, at Council of Moses Rendezvous. <laughs> and that training session it was like was like legendary at the time because there were a lot of people I got, you know, once it started in it got pretty good because here we are I'm going to give away this 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 old uh, Volkswagen squareback and uh, and Hawk was good, going to give me this trade gun and everybody, everybody and we're sitting there belittling each other as I told him how bad that Volkswagen was no reverse, the engine blew up on me I don't know, three times or where hell it did and I had a hell of a time with that Volkswagen he was telling me all the bad things about this trade gun about out, shot to the, he shot to the right, shot to the right, you know, shot to right about a foot, 25 yards, and this and that, and the other thing, and, and we sat there, and just all we did, everybody's listening there, all we did was we Ligert, what we're trading, I'll tell you how good it is, but Ligert what we're trading, and, and after we got a ton, deal, deal, and we, we, we swapped, <laughs> and, uh, He got the Volkswagen, which he drove for, I bet he drove it a lot longer than I thought it was last, he drove it for probably over a year, and he used the crap out of it. I mean, I, I, uh, uh, I was afraid to go over to town, which is only about three miles away. Uh, he was a big. He was also big in archery. And he used to go to archery shoots all over the state in this freaking thing loaded with his kids, and uh, <laughs> it was like a Volkswagen station wagon. If I it, it left him, it, it left him down a few times. But he was one of those people that didn't bother. him. Right. But anyway, uh, I started to hunt squirrels with this thing, and uh, um, and that's where I started trying to get a turkey with this smooth smoothbore. Uh, to, begin, uh, to begin with, shooting a turkey isn't hard. Uh, a lot of people think about you know, getting a turkey with a muzzle is hard. Uh, shooting them isn't the hard part, but getting close enough to shoot him is the hard part. Okay. And my, my turkey call leaves a lot to be desired. My vocabulary, my box call or the slate call, which is what I call it with, or my wing bone uh, call is very limited. My wing bone call. Which I use quite a bit uh, was a uh, uh, turkey. Uh, my turkey call was made by Skip Hammaker, and he made it for me. Uh, I, shot the, uh, I shot a turkey with a muzzler, uh, and he, a he, he, uh, gobbler, he made it into a, a wingbow turkey call for me. So uh, I really enjoy that call. And he, he Skip's long since passed away, but uh, I still have that call. On. Uh, but my, most of my vocabulary calling turkey is hey, I'm over here. That's one of the first things you learn Turkey calling is, Hey, I'm over here. And they'll, the, and they will respond and, and they'll, they will respond to you. They'll, they'll perk back, you know, you can say, Hey, I'm over here. And Christ, you know, you can hear him calling from, you know, two, two, three two three hundred yards. I can hear him, you know, calling back. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what they're saying. I really don't. I have no idea. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and as far as I know, they could be, what's your name? You know, where, where can I meet ya? you know, or anything like that. And, uh, uh, not, I have no idea what they're saying. And all I can say is, Hey, I'm over, uh, over here and somewhere around between 45 and 50 yards, which is still too far for a muzzling shotgun. The turkey will give up. And I mean, you can think, yeah, this, this, this turkey's crazy or he knows something's wrong. It mm-hmm. doesn't, yeah, you know, he doesn't want to bring me home to mom. He ain't coming in to see what I look like. He's not interested and they'll fly off. One time with this old trade gun, I was sitting there, sitting there for squirrels. And to kill time, I do it all the time, especially in our fall season. In Pennsylvania's fall season, you're allowed to uh, uh, hunt, hunt pen or gobblers uh, with either a rifle or a shotgun. In the spring season, is is shotgun-only gobblers. So that's one thing we do have in Pennsylvania two seasons. And uh, I'm scratching my slate call, and I'm saying, hey, I'm over here. I have, I'm sitting on a log... And it was just a nice log. I I remember I had my like back to a tree. You know, the log had fallen just perfect. And I I am sitting pretty comfortable. And I got the trade guy leaning against my shoulder. I'm sitting in a log. It was a low log. It was probably maybe a you know you know, six, eight inch diameter one, but of course I was a lot younger then. <laughs> and young Jake land it land next to you on the log.
0: Oh my gosh.
1: He landed on the log. I'm sitting on the with this trade guy leaning against my shoulder. He he stretched his neck up. I always remember him stretching his neck up to full length. He did one like clocking a perp, you know, a little little chirp they do. And I dropped my my call, scrambled to my feet, and and I fired basically hopelessly shot at the turkey as it was uh, about thirty yards away, at accelerating. By the time I got to my feet and the gun, it was a you know, it was a flintlock. I got the thing cocked. And I think it was like thirty yards away and accelerating. It was just all all the tail, but I still shot. It was a. It was a hopeless shot by shot and uh <laughs> after that i kind of fascinated me about you know now you're thinking oh, i could have had that turkey well yeah i know i don't know wait how i was gonna get that one but <laughs> but I, that thing flew in from the woods and landed with me on the log i have no idea what he was thinking but I, apparently hay or uh, the air was enough for him you know uh, that, yeah. that worked you know so uh because i i didn't hear him he didn't he did not respect. he came in you know he just came in i don't it was in the fall they're not looking for mates, he was just trying probably, probably looking for some, somebody else. He must, uh, you know, got broke up from a flock or he was probably lost. He was just happy or anybody. Yeah. And anyway, that, that old trade gun, I shot a lot of squirrels with that gun. And, and that I used, that was a 12 gauge. I used a lot of 80 grains. Uh, that's a quarter or six shot, but over the years I run everything. I've run, uh, uh and I've run everything from eight shot to number two. So I've, I've shot a lot of things with shot as a whole anymore along the line. Uh, I mostly use five shot now, unless I'm not, uh, unless I know I'm going for Turkey specifically or duck and I'll use number four shot, But the, the five shot, because it's a little heavier. And I, I feel, and everybody has an opinion. It's my opinion. I feel the heavier shot <laughs> for the, uh, the, uh, four patterns you get with cylinder boards. Cause these are all cylinder boards. There's no choking. these. the, you know, well, this guy was choked.
0: Mm-hmm
1: this guy but almost a lot most of my other ones have been uh shot sensor uh, cylinder bore. the five shot has enough weight to it it takes fewer pellets to kill it you mean, know, it's a poorer pattern but because uh, and part of the reason it's a poorer pattern because fewer shots but the number five shot seems to have a to me has a lot more energy than a six right you know but anyway that's that's why i've gone to it and uh uh anyway what, what happened uh uh, the first turkey I killed with a muzzleloader, I was using my 69-caliber, pray for this, I was using a 69-caliber Charleville Flitlock smoothbore musket. It was loaded with 80 grains and number five shot. And that's, a, that's a smoothbore. Gonna be, it shoots tremendous round ball. I still shoot it, and uh, I won my share of crap with that thing. Uh, that thing shoots excellent with a round ball and shot. And here's something a lot of people have a screw up with especially new guys if you shoot shot out of your smooth bore you and want to shoot round ball out of it you have to clean your smooth bore with the same stuff they clean modern shotguns with you have to if you're shoot, use if you're if you use a non-traditional wad like a plastic wad you have to get that plastic out of that bore but the big thing is you have to get the lid out of that bore really? shooting shot that lead goes down the bore and your patch will not slide over that lead worth of crap.
0: Huh. If,
1: if you're shooting a patch round ball, it will not slide over that patch. So the patch won't slide over good, and you need to go in there with a uh, a lead remover like you would with your modern shotgun. You know, I mean, it's, it comes out. Lead comes out. You just have to get it out of there. Uh, and the, so that's the reason a lot of times you'll, it, it, they don't know it. You know, People don't realize it. A lot of people say, well, oh, hell, my smooth board shoots bare with a bare ball, and I'm, I'm sure you may have heard that. People, yeah. A lot of people bare bare ball. Well, the reason is, a bare ball doesn't care about the lead it matter of fact it kind of i think it likes it
0: yeah uh because uh, you know it, it, it shoots barrel but if you put a, a cloth patch in there that class cloth patch
1: that lead is not 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 very slippery when it comes to that cloth pass over. And, it, it, and there's lead in there and it just, it just does not i've never seen uh one shoot at all that accurate unless you clean get the lead out yeah it's, and that's and that that another thing a lot of people at tops and centers a lot of people with tops and centers would shoot uh maxi balls alum all all deer season long and they'll come to the, the ranges to shoot patch round ball and they won't shoot and one of the reasons they they blame it on that the guns aren't accurate with a, a patch round ball no you got lead in it you need to get the lead out usually by I help them get the lead all out, now, that usually they'll shoot patch round ball, and they're usually surprised. But that's a that's a you definitely need to get the lead out.
0: Yeah, that's a good tip.
1: And anyway, the uh uh anyway, out of that six nine caliber eight grains, yeah, that's only like a sixteen gauge shotgun, roughly. And out of the six nine caliber, that power charge, boy, I, I drove the shot through a tin can. I I, I, shot, I shot a lot of squirrels with that. And what it was, we used to we used to do a, a annual squirrel hunt. In the fall we still do it we matter of fact this is our 40th anniversary oh wow uh, this is last fall and uh it started out with a group of about five of us from uh same gun club and it's expanded matter of fact uh, we just put a uh we just put a cap on them around no, no more people can be invited to it uh as much as i say because we're up to like 20 people and it's, it's too much of a stress on the uh we have about 300 400 acres we hunt 600 acre farm but 400, 400 acres is like 300 acres is a huntable, but 400 acres you've got to run around on. Mm-hmm. And he had, he, had, he had 20 people running around. That's a lot of people. Yeah.
0: Just for squirrel. Yeah. But,
1: but what happened was, Dorney asked a uh, squirrel hunt. And I said, uh, in the early days, only really about a dozen of my friends. We'd go up into the mountains of Pennsylvania and we moved the squirrel hunt back from the, uh, uh, the original first day of squirrel, which is in October, to the second week. November, which is turkey season. The reason we, well, the first weekend, usually the last weekend of October, first weekend, but by the second weekend in November was when we had the hunt. What was happened, too many of the squirrel hunters are seeing too many turkeys, and there was temptation there. Mm. And this has been, hunts been going on for four years during that time period, I, I believe, there's only been about six turkeys uh having killed during this hunt. Uh, but we were, I said, well, all of us are really up there for squirrels. One one guy really gets into the turkey hunt. He has a, he's, he, he's killed I think it's a six. I think he's killed three of them because he, he goes out and hunts turkey and says squirrel. He'll, he'll shoot a squirrel if he sees one. Yeah, but, but he's, he's out there calling turkey and he and he's a real turkey caller. Uh, one time I watched it. I, I was sitting on the side hill because uh, we so we call them like firefights, but you get that many people out there. And it, we usually had yeah, people people hunting groups of twos or threes, and they tangle some groups tangled with some squirrels, and I'm up on a side hill by myself, and I'm looking down. My buddy, uh, my buddy that hunts turkey, he's down on on like across the little dip in the hills. It's it's a, it's a pretty good hill country there, and there's like at bottom of every hill. There's a creek. Yeah. He's on the other side. It's a little creek. You know, it's a little three foot wide creek. He's on the other side, and he's sitting there, and he's he's sitting there. He's sitting there for squirrel, and he's, He wasn't doing any calling for turkey. His his firefight breaks up probably about 100 yards from us, maybe further, 200 yards from us, probably 200 yards up the hill further, and they bang, bang, boom, boom. You hear the double-brows go, and the single shots. And and uh, In the old days, we used to carry cap and ball revolvers, too, so I used to add the excitement of it all. Because <laughs> people, some people use rifles, and I use a rifle quite a bit anymore, and I don't use a shotgun as much. You know, I mean, I don't use a shotgun as much as I used to, but I use a, I have a little thirty two I take. But anyway, the shoe's going on, I'm down there watching. I'll never forget. This whole flock of turkey comes barren. I were talking like 30 some odd turkey, 40 turkey come run down this hill full bent. And there, every bit, I bet you 60 yards out, out, uh, away from him, And all he did with his voice was do a purr and a cluck. And that thing turned like a, a herd of cattle huh. and right for him. And next thing you know, he was quiet. He, he was these turkeys are going by him i watched him he he was trying he he almost didn't know which one to shoot i was afraid i'm not getting any of them. he's trying <laughs> he's trying to pick he's trying to pick the biggest one in a cobbler, you know, which he did get and he shot it and and uh not uh, that we're we allowed to shoot one turkey he said uh they said it said probably probably it was good he said he he uh shot it and then before he get the thought through his mind, you know, I could probably shoot no and they were all gone already. Cause turkeys are quick. Yeah, but he did that with his voice—a little purr and a cluck—and a whole herd turned and ran right towards him, and they would actually passed the other side of the tree he was with. So. Wow, I'm shooting at him, but anyway. <laughs> and uh, uh, anyway, that—that—that that, 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 that was his little thing. But the turkey I got, uh, I was—I was, I was sitting in the woods, and I have to even hunting. This is my father's farm a big farm he has big dairy farm he's long since passed away my brother in law owns it now but uh there's a big 200 acre woods hold that thought just 200 acres Mm -hmm. it's all rolling hills and that and there's there's more to it i'm talking about about 200 acres of solid woods and there's uh three acres of hickory trees three to four acres of hickory trees there are that many of them in this section of woods there's hickory trees for the whole woods but there's like a grove of them and there's all it's all hardwoods. Is there, I mean, we're talking, there's butternuts and there's, there's, uh, hick, you know, uh, oaks, you know, all kind of white oak, uh, uh, all, all kinds of red oak and just tons of stuff, you know, uh, tons of stuff. But these hickories, these squirrels, like they do like hickory and, uh, where, where I sit, I've been hunting that thing since now I hunt it before I married my, my wife, before he became a father-in-law I, <laughs> I found that thing like right away. And back then, the hickory, it wasn't that many of them. Though. It was only probably about two or three hickory trees, and the squirrels planted them all up through there, and it's like a, it's turning about five-acre field of hickories, you know, it spread through the woods. Yeah. But anyway, uh, I hit, I the, I, where I like to hunt, it's like on, on the creek side, it was down the bottom by the creek, these hemlocks, and the squirrels like to live down the uh, hemlocks uh, as much as any place. They, a lot There's a lot of, they kind of nest down in there and around the hemlock. There's, a, there's, there's always been a, a great horned owl living on that mountain since I've been there. I don't know if it's the same one or not. I don't know how old they live, but hell, I've been going there for over 40 years. There's always been at least one great horned owl there on that hill. I don't think I've ever seen more than one, but there's always been one there. And he decimates the squirrel population. He has a fear, fear of the owl in those, those squirrels. Hmm. And I think, I think they like the hemlock cover, and they can usually work the, the hemlocks all the way up the uh, to the uh, leaves come off the trees all the way up to the the, uh, the hickories. Anyway, so I usually sit on that side hill there and I'm sitting there and uh, I'm all nestling at the base of one of those tree hickory trees, uh, base of those trees. So, so I'm looking up, probably sitting at the base of that big oak and I was, I was looking towards the hickories, look down below, see squirrels coming and look at the direction squirrels come. But there's rock ledges and outcroppings all along the hillside. I'm sitting there, I can hear this big animal running towards me. This thing sounds like a a bear coming through the (laughs) woods. I'm thinking, holy shit, you know, here you It's running parallel to the hill, and it's only, you know, it's it's running parallel. I can hear about uh, uh, 70 yards out, maybe, you know, even 100 yards coming out. It's only, it's run up pretty halfway, halfway up that hill. It should come past out close to be like with 30 yards just below me. And it's running like along this deer trail, which runs along the uh, – it runs along basically these big rock ledges. I said, there's all the hills like – I don't know if you, you get up have seen them around, but it's like uh, rock – you know, out rock ledges and outcroppings and that. It's rock ledge, and uh, it's running out parallel to it, and the hemlocks block some of my view because there's hemlocks spread all along this, this side hill too. And uh, – and, uh, but then the rock ledge blocked it because the uh, rock ledge is – you know, it starts out about 10 foot high – on the side of the bank there, but it tapers down to nothing right in front of me. I'm <laughs> watching. I'm watching, and where is making the noise? Where animal is making the noise? Starts to slow down. It gets through around the ledge area, and it starts to slow dabbing here, going to the leaves. It's a it's a fall October in November day, and the leaves are just crunching like hell, and it slows down, and, and it, it, the ledge is getting lower and lower, and all of a sudden I realize, hey, a deer. Because uh, I'd be seeing it by now, because the ledge is down to like about three foot high, you know, three foot high. Yeah. And I'm thinking, well, it must be a fox. And so I cocked my old Charleville musket. I started aiming at the end of the ledge. I thought, this is going to be great. This thing's going to step out of it. This fox is going to step out about thirty yards from me, and I'll be able to whack it with, you know, even though it's a shotgun, I'd still whack a fox just to get it. Hell, I maybe I'd, I'd make another uh, a patch
0: pouch. Yeah, there you <laughs> go. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: I cocked, I cocked a charcoal and anyway, I'm sitting there and told me, Oh, this is big gobbler. I mean, big gobbler, 11 inch beard. That's what I measured up to steps out, steps out, flat foot as hell. And he looks right up to me. and it, it was like, perfect. I mean, he stopped like right in front of my sights and, uh, <laughs> I dropped the hammer of that old trouble musket and uh, I hit him and he flopped. And he rolled down all the way down the bit to the base of that hill flopping all the way. And, uh, i was told, uh, i was able to watch him and i reloaded and uh he was flopping big i was a little scared about him getting away I got down there, he was dead and uh I was the biggest turkey I've shot to this day with anything. wow and uh, i I've, I've, I've since you know uh uh brought was uh, we ate that turkey by the way that day on that mountain uh we went and uh like we usually eat the uh, if we get the turkeys early enough in the hunt uh, cause we only, we hunt Saturdays cause uh, everybody worked, it works. And I, we might change that now because, well, we saw some people working there. Everybody's gotten older. We're all, we're all getting retired. By <laughs> one.
0: You can all hunt every day now.
1: Yeah, we, we could, but anyway, we still go on Saturdays for the young guys. There's, there's quite a few. Cause what's happened, what's neat about this hunt, it's, uh, it's basically it's become a legacy. It's, uh, uh, children and grandchildren now are hunting. Okay. Both my boys, you know, my boys both grew up there hunting, and uh now they're, now my grandchildren are hunting there, and seeing without house house, he and me hunted together from the beginning, and uh, his, his, uh, uh, grandchildren, he never, he never had sons, he had daughters, and he was, i always kind of hurt, but his sons have grown, his grandsons, uh, I watched him grow up on that mountain, because he started hunting them, now when they were 10, 12 years old, he'd bring them out, and now that, now they're, you know, 35, you know, they're in their 30s. And uh, it's, it's, it's just been fun. There's Dale Clemens and his two boys, and uh, they haven't had any children yet, but they, his two boys are all grown up to be men now, and it's, it's fun. Anyway, uh, but anyway, what we do, we eat them up there, and uh, usually we don't do too bad with firewood and, and uh, thing, but I know twice, which makes it nice if you're on trying to roast them, uh, we've, we've uh, cheated and gone for charcoal. <laughs> <laughs> and we uh, you throw a nice charcoal fire in there on top of the wood you know, with the wood going, it makes for a nice, even heat. Yeah. But uh, we'll also what we've done with them, we have uh, smaller turkeys that uh, have been gotten up there. I know we've uh, uh, basically uh, cut them up. We uh, pressed them out and cut them up and cut all the meat off the bones and put into the soup, into the squirrel soup. And one of the best squirrel soup soups we ever had stews stews we might as well call them stews the best squirrel stew we ever had and they still talk about it uh some of the some of the men rave about it uh uh, uh, uh west rice uh and uh which you've met uh, i'm pretty sure yeah, maybe you may have him minute but hey west rice and there's a few other guys that go that aren't related you know they just, they've been i asked to go and hunt they still talk about it we in that stew we had turkey squirrel grouse and a porcupine really oh, a porcupine that's something about porcupine uh, we all talk they all talk about porcupine and uh one of the favorite ones that the men uh, go hunting up there say not only do we eat porcupine but we have different recipes for it
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> and we've eaten uh, we've eaten our share of porcupine. and a porcupine we all, and we all try and get a porcupine. One thing it, it does, they do hurt the woods. One thing they are, they are illegal to, to get now. there for a while. They, they try and seem like they're endangered, but they they multiply. They don't, they don't have any real enemies. Right. I think I think Pennsylvania protected them for a little bit, but they just went wild. You know, then, you know it was like rats. They were like, they were like a tree rat of some yeah. sort. And so they, they decided that wasn't a good idea, so they opened them back up again. And uh, anyway, a porcupine. Uh, the best way to describe it, if the best thing you need to do with a porcupine is boil it and get all the as much fat off as you can. parboil boil it, and you know dump to get the fat off. And, and uh, if you if you par boil it and uh, chunk it up and put it in, because uh, you, you know, we did whole porcupines already, you parboil boil it, and and we had one that was that good. I don't know was because we were that hungry, but imagine the very best piece of white meat pork you ever
0: ate. Oh, wow.
1: Now, the worst porcupine we ever had, we had ones that were horrible, already We, 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 we never hit home runs in all our recipes. We got this brilliant idea to fry one. Yeah, you know. You know <laughs> and they're fatty, fatty to begin with. And, well, you know, what's the better way to think to fry them? You know, great, yes. you know it's fat. And uh, we got to fry this damn thing. And I don't know if you ever had Chinese pecan duck, but imagine the worst pecan duck you ever had.
0: No, oh.
1: You know, greasy, yeah. uh... Uh, just nasty and that's a uh, porcupine turn so basically we, we parboil them get the grease cut all the much foul uh, uh, parboil them and then we uh, chuck, the, chuck the meat off anyway, the stew that had the turkey the squirrel the grouse and the porcupine and what all people talked about they had carrots and they had the carrots and the potatoes and that's I don't know if they had celery but carrots and potatoes for sure And guys that was a standard and uh, what are we all, they all talk about. I, 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 I'm with them too. Each piece of meat, we never had this happen because we've already had stews cooked down to a slurry or to just make good gravy. But this one here, each piece of meat, you could eat it and so Oh, that's the grouse. Oh, that's a, you know, that's the squirrel.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh,
1: that's the porcupine. Oh, that's the turkey. You could identify each piece of meat for what it was. And, uh, uh I thought that was just, just great. We have some good talks up there and then, uh, well, we had some bad ones. I said, we, we, uh, everybody shot the squirrels pretty early and they put in a pot there about one o'clock and they cooked it till about six and it simmered down to nothing but a, uh, uh gravy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All it was good for was basically putting on bread. <laughs> there was no meat. There was no, 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 Those days is good. Right. It's a good gravy. It would be nice if you had it to put on, you know, you know, again, maybe, you know, maybe we had some dumplings or something, but uh, it was just a gravy. And the other thing was bad is uh, he's got a raccoon one time, and I all of not not think it was a good idea, but they, they they put it in the pot anyway.
0: Oh.
1: And, and it was a thought of the raccoon because I I've never, anything I ever heard about a raccoon you have to you have to mess with it a little bit you have to know what you're doing with it and apparently we did because that that ruined the whole pot. You know I mean that was <laughs> that was a that was bread and butter night that night. I mean I you know, I I tasted it and it was like. Uh, that sucks. Don't do that again.
0: Yeah.
1: Anyway, so I, I said a great hunt, which we go on, and we uh, uh, we sit there and we we cook everything. We cook everything we eat, and I, I tell you, there, there's some great recipes. And over the years, one of the things we have changed we make our we make our we have to backpack it. Because originally, we started as a rendezvous. Uh-huh. And what has started to happen was people start quit. Well, here we had we had several people quit leaving camp because it was more fun to sit in camp eating and and, and we have several, several people are are, are cooks and are great cooks I, I love them being great cooks But next thing you know it became like a dutch oven bake-off on the squirrel hunt and <laughs> it was it was tough to i mean we had some wonderful stuff come out we had had the, the my favorite was Hudson Bay brown bread or something I mean, it, it was just excellent it was all it was all honey and and, and syrupy and simony and it was just it was just, just nothing but a great dessert. Yeah. And uh and, and it was all it was all great food, but you, uh, you gotta everybody was more worried about getting back to camp to eat, you know, and uh so we, we kinda made your backpack it's so like kind leaves the Dutch ovens out and all that right. stuff. Going we back to the tinware. But anyway, uh anyway, over the years though, you know, since since so I started with a charlotte musket and the trade gun and the, the original doe I, I, I have, I have quite a few different muzzling, uh, shotguns and, uh, I bought a Navy arms, a repro that was on sale. They were on sale on muzzle blast here quite a few years ago. I bought two of them, one for me and my one son, that likes hunting and he, his, his goal in life is to shoot every, uh, uh, yeah, every species of, uh, turkey and birdie can with a muzzle shotgun because uh we've we've done a lot of different things he, he shot quite a few bit with his little 12 gauge 12 gauge percussion both cylinder bores and i i shot a lot of with uh, mine and I, uh and also the original 12 gauge i bought which uh, uh which is also excellent condition and that's a cylinder board and i actually like the original uh as much as i do the little one um hmm. uh, and try, uh, and then and, and they a cylinder board is good enough to shoot a turkey at 25 yards. The squirrels are are, are squirrels are about as tough as a, a turkey. If you can kill a squirrel, you can kill a turkey. Uh, just you know, Squirrels are just as smart. I don't know if they're just not as smart. They just can't see as well. Uh, the turkeys can see.
0: Yeah, turkeys have good eyes on them.
1: And I do have uh, two muzzling uh, uh, shotguns that have screwing chokes. Mm-hmm. One double barrel shotgun, traditional style, which is a soli. And, uh, it's 12 gauge and that, and has a screw and chokes and I have one single barrel modern style inline muzzleloader, a shotgun, and it's shoots a, shock shotgun primer for ignition. Okay. Screw and, choke. and the big advantage of the screw and chokes is, uh, if you're uh, not a traditionalist, because they didn't have screw and chokes back then, is, is the fact that, uh, they, they, they definitely, uh, uh, a cheap way, cheap way to change your chokes, uh, they, uh, uh, like I said, the shot with well, the choke tubes, which I hunt with most is a proof cylinder, uh, and the right barrel, which is about 25 yard shot, you know, it's worth for about 25 yards and a modified choke together, yeah, which is good for lower 30 yards and uh, the chokes, you know, they, they basically tighten up your shot pattern
0: mm-hmm.
1: and, uh, what they, uh, figure on chokes is, uh, uh, 70 percent you of your shot should be in a 30 inch circle i think something like that but there's a there's a rule on regulating shot you know an improved cylinder i think it's supposed to be 25 yards and a modified is supposed to be like uh, uh 35 yards
0: you know,
1: okay or whatever. yeah and uh anyway but anyway the trouble is though I, I just found out pretty early you can't hardly get your shotgun wads down through a tight tighter choke than a yeah, with yeah you know, could it just t- totally destroys them yeah uh, you use a short star especially the, the the felts the uh the cushion wads
0: yeah it just kind of tear them up right
1: it tears them up yeah you, you need a short starter to load it and somehow it takes fun out of shooting a shotgun if you have to use a short starter <laughs> to give you an idea of chokes some cylinders a cylinder a cylinder bore is zero restriction the cylinder bores all your muskets are the originals Many of them, uh, most originals were over were cylinder bores. Then they uh, then they have what they call an improved cylinder, which is a ten thousandths restriction. Ten thousandths isn't much; that's by the way about the size of a human hair. Yeah, but uh, you know it's not very much. And a modified is twenty thousandths, and an uh modified is twenty-five thousandths. And uh, and these three chokes I, I've I've used in my muzzleloader shotguns, uh, the improved, modified. I can, you know, the wide crunches off, gets destroyed, get down, but I can get it down. When I hunt turkey with a modern shotgun, I use a screw choke. Uh, when I hunt turkey you know, with the, the, my modern muzzling shotgun, I'll use a screw choke. Cho- well, I'll take that back. My modern shotgun, I use what they call a uh, extra full, and that's a 40,000 restriction. That's good for about 40 yards. That's uh, like a turkey choke. So it's really, and, and that gives you, that makes the pattern a lot tighter because it makes all the BBs come out of there together, or it forces them together. Yeah. But uh, 40,000 strips, you cannot even begin to get uh, a wad down there. Okay. Some of my friends, the hunt with uh, these tight chokes, Dave uh, uh, Aries, one of them, uh-huh. uh, he'll pour their power charge uh, in first, then they'll sh- screw the choke tube out with what they, uh, they call a speed wrench and it fits in there and you screw it out and the reason they take uh, put the powder in and screw it out then screw it out is because if you if you take choke out first the powder gets in and pour the powder down and it gets in those threads and you can't get hardly get it back in oh uh, okay because all the oil on the threads all the powder sticks to so he pours his powder down because I watch his carryings on it it's a pain but but you're, you're, you, yeah, I watch him do some fancy shooting oh yeah it's a lot of work, but you'll have a buzzing shotgun kill as far as a, a, you know, kill as far as a modern shotgun out to maybe 40 yards. And still sit there, he'll sit there, and he'll uh, screw the, uh, uh, the that, you know put the powder in, screw it out, and all the wads is cylinder bore then, and all the wads just go right down. Yeah. Put the shot on top, but the other wads, I screws it back in, and uh, he has a double barrel. I don't know what gauge that is? It might be a 10. Yeah, it's it's a better solely. Mm-hmm. And he'll, 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 he'll sit there and, uh, uh, it's like, holy shit. You know, it's a, it's a piece of equipment. As I said, it's a, you know, it's, it turns into a four yard gun. Now, now there's several custom barrel makers out there that make smoothbore barrels with chokes built right in. And, uh, some of the traditional smoothbores like that, they will uh, they'll, they'll make, a uh, a long fowler barrel, octagon around beautiful. Colray makes a beautiful barrel. And his turkey one is a, is a 20 gauge, but it's restricted to 58 caliber, and uh, 20 gauge is roughly 62, and a caliber, you know, the 58 caliber is 58. So you're talking that's a 40,000 restriction. So that's like shooting a, uh, a extra full choke, hmm.
0: it's like
1: extra full choke in a traditional barrel. And, and a lot of people in my area, because based is known for turkey, mm-hmm. buy these barrels or you know barrels off you know, of them or barrels like these, and uh... Because they what the loads they use, because I you know I figured this might be a piece of trivia these people. Uh, it's a, it's a, it's a southern gun to get it down through there, but how they do it, and I could probably do it with my, my choke tubes. And the way they load is they uh, they take the uh, the shorter of the, they take a short starter, they put your powder in, and they take those eighth inch card wads, and they'll shorter they'll short starter those eighth inch card wads, three or four of them right against each other. So you push them all down once. You put like four 8-inch yeah. cards. You push them down with a short star past the, the choke restriction. Then you push them all down once and then you put your shot in. Then they take the 8th inch card wad and they rip it in half or the, over the uh, uh, shot card. Hmm. Say I, a, uh, I, I like using the uh, pushing wads or the felts. Like I'll put a... Uh, eighth-inch card wad down, like my hunt, I put an eighth-inch card wad down and put well like a greased felt on top of that, then I'll uh, put my shot in, and, and uh, cause they, uh, uh, anyway, that, that yeah, because that, that helps keep the, that does help keep the pattern a little tighter, as those cushion wads. Yeah. Anyway, uh, uh, anyway, hunting turkey, or any small game, that mother shot shotgun is it, all in the patterns. You know, it, 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 you have to pattern.
0: Yeah, if you don't and, pattern it, you're just whistling Dixie at that point. Right, you have no idea, you know, where it's going to hit. It's like sight like the gun in.
1: But uh, basically, you know, the, the common things start with equal powder to shot by volume. Uh, you know, you, you know, and, and use uh, you and I. Uh, you I use a uh, over uh, over the powder card. And it was uh, eighth inch uh, over the powder cards. And I put a cushion wad in then over shot card. And put your shot, you know, your, you know, shot in and over shot card. And uh, try you know, I try less powder to uh, powder tighten the pattern, try tearing I try tear, tearing the cushion wad in half sometimes. And uh, I, I, I I usually start trying between one ounce, ounce an eighth, ounce and a quarter, an eighth, ounce of three eighths. Very seldom I ever go an ounce of three eighths for loads. Hmm. And I, what I also use I use my wife's my wife's freezer paper. <laughs> People don't use freezer paper anymore, but we still have it. Yeah, uh, uh, Freezer paper is 8, 18 inches wide. And, yeah, I cut it square. I make it 18 by 18, and I can take that out, and, you know, you, you, you can get, you know, cut four, four, you know, four to six something up, very something like four out more than about six shots at this. Because roughly, even even powder to shot, you know, if you if you load an ounce and a quarter of powder, an ounce and a quarter of shot, eh, it'll be good enough to, more likely it's going to be in the ballpark. So if you if you're on tweaking, see you're you're not tweaking a whole lot either way. But it sometimes doesn't take much. But again, I go back to the tin can. If you're you, you know you have to have a tight pattern. The uh, if you have a, a pattern, if you reduce your powder charge, because I've seen you you can reduce the powder charge down to sixty grains and tighten up the pattern like you wouldn't believe. Right. I've done that on paper shoots because sometimes I've been in uh, competitions with a trade gun where. You shoot one shot with shot at a paper target and they count the number of pellets in it or score well heck you, if you get you load that thing down with like 50 60 grains and you know where that it hits because usually it shoots a lot lower mm-hmm. you know where it hits it pattern really you, you can almost tear its head off you know to where the target you're shooting at yeah and, but the thing is is if you have it you have a tight pattern a mouse can't get through and you can't penetrate a tin can you ain't gonna kill the mouse so hmm. But uh, most of those shotguns, as I said, it, 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 it is, it's fun. It's a, it's a great companion. You walk for in the woods. I usually uh, I have my squirrels with a thirty two caliber long rifle and on occasion a forty. But I think there's a chance of shooting a turkey with a rifle. I even take my forty out for, you know, if I think there's a chance of shooting a turkey rifle. Because in Pennsylvania, all turkey is either uh, for, uh, is for, is for turkey rifle or shotgun or gobble or hen. And in the spring, which is coming up now, yeah, a season straight gobbler, the beard—you have to have a beard—and shotgun only. Uh, but but walking, you know, but in the fall, walking, looking for a grouse or jumping squirrels on ground, a muzzle shotgun is the way to grow. I mean, I I, I love taking the muzzle shotgun for a walk in the fall.
0: Yeah, it sounds and, uh, sounds great.
1: Uh, do you, do, you, uh, do you have any questions or?
0: I don't think so. I feel like you covered quite a bit. I mean, I'm.
1: Can I, can I, can I go on? You want me to go on more about duck hunt, But I don't know if you need that at this time in this story. How's that sound?
0: Uh, yeah, I think that'd be good for another one. I'd love to have you back on. I mean, you're uh, you're yeah. a great storyteller. <laughs> anyway, I, I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, yeah. Uh, I
1: said, uh, uh, is, I've I've seen a lot, and I've I've done I've. There's this this coronavirus. Uh, God bless him. Is uh. Killing me because I, I I'm I, I'm fishing every day. I'm I'm having a great time fishing. I started fly fishing now because I have already eaten too many trout with the <laughs> uh the easy, with a spinning rod. So I'm I'm fly fishing that definitely has cut down on my trout consumption. <laughs> so I want to keep fly fishing because I'm getting better better casting every day. I don't know I'm about catching trout. I'm getting better casting every day. So.
0: if this keeps going, I'm going to do a lot of fishing this year.
1: Okay, well I'll leave you go.
0: Okay, thank you very much, Bye. Jim. All right, we'll see you. We'll see you. Thanks so much for listening. Jim has always been a hoot. Um, I've been hearing his stories for years, and it's it's always nice to hear a few more. Uh, I had a great time recording with him. He's got some deer hunting stories I think we're going to have up next in a future episode. So keep a, keep a lookout for that if you're interested in muzzleloader hunting. As of recording, COVID-19 is still putting a damper on things. As always, we have nmlra.org slash COVID-19 set up for up-to-date information on how it's affecting the association, as well as production here. We've also updated the NMLRA.org slash territorials page with updates on all of the postponed or canceled NMLRA territorial matches all over the country. So be sure to check that out if you're planning on attending a territorial in your state, especially those that were scheduled here for the spring. Many of them have been canceled or postponed to the fall. Just this week, we passed 500 subscribers on our YouTube channel. As a thank you to everybody that subscribed, we're doing a giveaway. As of recording, it's Tuesday the fourteenth. You still have until Friday this week to subscribe to the channel to be entered in to win a free one year subscription to the digital edition of Muzzle Blast. If you don't win, don't worry. We're also running a subscription special on the website. You can get one year of Muzzle Blast magazine, the digital edition, sent to your email each month for twenty dollars. Now it's you're gonna get the twelve issues from you know this coming calendar year, going from you know. April to April. But you will also have access to the digital archive of every muzzle blast magazine ever printed. So that gives you access to magazines from the 30s, 40s, 50s, all the way up until today of muzzle blasts that have hunting tips, muzzle loading tutorials, traditional craft, living history education, all that's kind of rolled into that. So if you if you want a chance at winning, or if you'd like to subscribe today, check out NMLRA.org and sign up. We'd really appreciate it.